a year ago, we started a series um, focusing on the Christ, and we spent the the um, the better part of the the beginning of the year last year looking at um, the shadow of Christ and considering how Christ was was revealed in the Old Testament and uh, the the types and, and prophecies regarding him and how he was going to come and and looking to the fact that when Christ would eventually come and be born when the Messiah would be born that it shouldn't overtake everybody as a surprise but as we moved into the life of Christ in this series and we looked at the birth of Christ last summer the beginning of last summer we saw that honestly it, it did take him by surprise it shouldn't have but there was only a few people who were really looking forward to it the ones the scribes the Pharisees the chief priests and such who knew the prophecies and should have been looking forward to him missed it. And we talked about that again um, this past December as we were looking at the, the return of Christ, the anticipation of his return and such, that they, they'd missed that. And so we then looked at the life of Christ through um, uh, his ministry and the different parts of his ministry. We looked at um, his, his uh, arrest, his death, his burial, his resurrection of Christ. And we looked at the return of Christ um, during the, the end of November and into December. But today we want to continue on in this series and looking at the reign of Christ. Now, Lord willing, this is only two weeks. Um, and um, and then after that, we want to look at the reflection of Christ. And the reflection of Christ, we're going to actually be quite long in that, because as we look at the reflection of Christ, it's about us individually, about the church proper. And then we're going to be, as we get into the church proper, we're going to look at what is the church supposed to look like as a reflection of Christ to the world. And so, Lord willing, that's where we're heading um, in the beginning part of this year as well. But as we consider the, the reign of Christ, there's... Two sections, if you would, two major sections as we consider Christ's reign. There is theologically um, the future physical reign of Christ, which the Bible literally talks about. But we also know that there is the, the current reign of Christ, and that's his what? Spiritual reign in our life. And so we're going to look at, Lord willing, um, we'll look at that next week. But today I want to look at, first of all, the future physical reign of Christ. And before we get into it, I want to just make a couple comments. And if you have your sermon note sheet, you got those there in the introduction. And that is that, again, as we talked about with the return of Christ and how important it is, biblically, to where we're at. I mean, because, honestly, um, Jesus calls himself the Alpha and the Omega. Okay. Now, that comes from the what? The Greek, right? What's Alpha? It's the first letter of the alphabet. What's Omega. It's the last letter of the alphabet. doesn't sound right to us in, in English, but it is. It's omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And that's where we get the word alphabet from. It's actually alpha, beta, you know, so it comes right from the Greek, okay? And so he calls himself the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the alpha and omega. And I always kind of think it's interesting that as you go out there and you listen to radio preachers and different theologians and stuff like that, Jesus says he's the beginning and he's the end, right? Well, biblically, that would be what? That would be... The, your origins, what do you believe about your origins, what do you believe about the beginning, and what do you believe about the, the end times? And there's a thing in, in English called a mirrorism, it's a device, you, you ref, have two opposite extremes to reflect everything in between, right? And so in the Shema, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, you know, we're supposed to be teaching our children the, the word of God, whether we're sitting in a house, or whether we're walking in a way, that means that no matter where you're at, you're supposed to be teaching the word of God, and whether you're lying down, or whether you're sitting up, that means no matter what time of the, the day. So no matter where you're at, no matter what time of the day, you're supposed to be teaching the Word of God. Well, that's a mirrorism, okay? So if, if God says that he's the, the Alpha and the Omega, he's the beginning and the end, he's the first and the last, what's he saying? He's everything. He's everything in between, right? So theologically, if, if I don't agree with somebody, 
biblically about what they believe in their origins, i.e., there are people who don't believe that God created the earth in six 24-hour days, and the seventh day he rested. Now, I think the Bible is pretty clear in Genesis chapter 1 that God created the earth in what? Six days. I mean, those days were defined by God as having an evening in a morning, a period of darkness and a period of light. And so if they want to declare that those days are eons or millions of years, that means that they've got to have 500,000 years of darkness and 500,000 years of light. It just doesn't make sense to me. And God uses ordinal numbers and cardinal numbers, and he uses all kinds of stuff to declare that those really are days. Like I understand a day, right? Makes sense? Okay. So those people who are out there who have these long days and they have this gap theory between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 that really isn't there in the Bible. And, and they, they want to, basically, they want to amalgamate secular science. Do you understand? They, 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 they give way to the authority of God and his word to the scientists of the day. Does that make sense? So if I don't agree with somebody there, I start to get struggle a little bit. Now, I'm not saying you got to believe that six 24-hour days to be saved. I think it's pretty close. I mean, I, I really, I mean, I... I don't know how somebody believes in a true creator God and doesn't believe in, in, in a creator God. Does that make sense? I mean, it kind of makes sense if you believe in a creator God that you believe he's what? A creator God. Anyways, so, but the other side then of that picture, of the other side of the realm, is this. is the last times. And, you know, so many times we want to stay away from last times. People don't want to talk about the last days. They don't want to talk about end time stuff because it's all what? Prophecy. And the, the, the best thing we know about prophecy, or when will we know prophecy for fact? After the fact, okay? And so it's easy for us. But God has, has left the word again as we talked about the coming of Messiah. It shouldn't have taken by surprise because there was enough indicators about his coming that it shouldn't have been a shock to him. And so it is with the future, with his return. The difference is, the, the, the main difference is the same thing when you go back to the origins. What is your standard for authority, for truth. What is, what is your, your final authority that you're going to sit on to know what truth is? So the reason I bring this up is because this concept of the millennium, this concept that we're talking about, this physical reign of Christ, is one that is so debated. And I'm thinking, why is this really debated? I mean, there are those who call themselves amillennialists. Now, the Greek letter alpha is becomes a word, ah, and it means not. Okay, And so they believe that there is no... Millennium. There's no 1,000-year reign of Christ. Now, we read this morning Genesis 20, verses 1 to 10, right? Or Genesis, I'm sorry, Revelation 20, 1 to 10. And so hopefully you're still there. And I want you to just look at this with me. This isn't really necessarily part of the message other than I, I'm assuming, I'm not telling you that the, the reign of Christ is a 1,000 years. This is just part of the introduction because this is just, it's a fact. I mean, it's biblical. It's literal. Okay? But look with me as you come down from here, starting in Genesis 20, okay? Ver- did I say Genesis again? Revelation. You know, from Genesis to Revelation, it's all it's all the word of God. Anyway, so Revelation 20, okay? So if I say Genesis again, I really mean Revelation, okay? So Re- <laughs> Revelation 20, verse 2. What does it say at the end of the verse about, about Satan? He was bound for what? A thousand years. Now, now I don't know about you, but I, I think God knows what he's talking about, and he can use certain words. And if he if he wanted to say... For like a thousand years, he could have said for like a thousand years. When Jesus was giving parables, he let it be known that he was giving what? Word pictures, right? I mean, so you had no doubt when Jesus gave a parable or a word picture that he was giving a word picture. I'm not told this is a word picture. You know, I'm told that literally an angel comes down with a chain 
and he binds Satan and throws him into a bottomless pit for what? A thousand years. Okay, that's verse 2. And he cast him, in verse 3, into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him. Okay, now we're getting more detail here. I mean, this isn't a word picture. The detail, so that he can deceive the nations no more, okay, till what? The thousand years. Again, I mean, you know, he's, he's being detailed. Till the thousand years. You know what the thousand years means in the Greek, the, the words that are there? You know what they mean? thousand years. Okay, let's go on. In, in verse 4, just in case you were wondering whether there was maybe just an interpretive thing going on here. In verse 4, okay, and so now you have all these, these thrones and the judgments and such going on, okay? And, and at the very end of it, we're told that they have these marks on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for what? A thousand years. I, I, I think something's happening here. Verse 5, I mean, notice we're going verse by verse here. But the rest of the dead did not live again until what? A thousand years were ended. Okay, and so I'm, I'm not quite sure. Verse 6 now, uh, just in case I'm not sure that God really meant it in those other verses. It says, Blessed is holy as he who has pardoned the first resurrection, so on and so forth. And it says, And they shall be priests, this is the end of the verse, priests of God and of Christ, and that shall reign with him for what? A thousand years. Now, I don't know about you, but I think God's trying to say something there, don't you? Uh, I'm not quite sure. How long does God say in his word that Christ is going to reign? A thousand years. And he says it over and over and over again. Do you believe that God is holy? I mean, come on, let's be honest. Okay, let's, let's make sure that everybody on, listening to us on the web knows that we believe this. Do you believe God is holy? Yes. yes. Okay. Why do we believe that God is holy? Because you just believe it? Because you just decided to get up this morning and, and think that God's word was literal? In, in those times where it says, it's holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And because Yahweh says, and, and I am holy, and so therefore you think that that one's a, something you should be taken literally? What about God is love? Do, do you think God is love is literal? Sure you do. Why? Because God's word says it. Why don't we believe? I think we do. But why doesn't Christendom believe in a thousand years for Christ? Well, those who are all millennia say that that's not the case, that this isn't literal, this is, this is allegorical. And they believe that Satan is bound right now. Man, I don't know, I look out and I don't necessarily see Satan being bound. If Satan is bound right now, God is very non-potent. Not omnipotent, but non-potent, okay? I mean, this is really a, a sad moment. Okay, but there are those who also believe in what's called post-millennialism, and that is that Christ will come to reign in the millennium, Okay, when we as Christians make this into a Christian world, we will Christianize the world, we'll make it a better place, and we will establish a kingdom, and when we do, Jesus will come, and he'll reign on the the earth. Now, you guys look at me like, people clearly don't believe that. Either one of those. Oh, yeah. The majority of Christianity believe one of those two. The James Dobsons believe those okay this is amazing you, the uh the john pipers believe that now i don't know what john piper with creation i think he might be a six-day creationist but he's not there on a on a pre-trib rapture of the church in fact you can go and you can see the youtube of it when at his church he wanted to have a thing on eschatology pre-tribulational rapture was not even an option when he talked about premillennialism, it was also always post-tribulationalism. Because what post-millennialism does is it still gets rid of Israel. Post-millennialism, 
postmillennialism and amillennialism have one thing in common, and that is it gets rid of Israel. It gets rid of Israel. But this is where we want to come now into this, this, this reign of Christ. And the first thing we want to look at, as we look at it, is the location of the kingdom. What does the scripture say? Now, this is clearly going to be topical, and we're going to be running to and fro here and there in these. Um, but what does the Bible say is the kingdom? Well, first of all, we know from Revelation 20, it appears that, we're not told that, it's going to be in Israel, in Jerusalem, okay? But let's can we prove it? First of all, the scope we know is going to be the earth, okay? Jesus is going to come back to the earth, and he's going to reign. So Revelation chapter 5, the first couple of verses I've got up on the screen for us, okay? And then we're going to be looking at some. But in Revelation 5, verse 8 to 10, we read, Now when he, that is Jesus, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayer of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have have redeemed us to our God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign where? On the earth. Okay? Not in heaven. Not a heavenly kingdom here, but we're talking about an earthly kingdom. And in Zechariah 14, from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, coming over, Zechariah declares, And Yahweh, the Lord, shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, Yahweh is Echad, is one. In his name, one. And this little aside is kind of fun. That's the same word that's used in the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is Echad. And the, and the word Echad, if, if in Hebrew I was going to count you know, like we say, one, two, three, four, five, six. I would say, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Daleth, He, Vav, Zion, Cheth, Teth, Yod. And I would just go by the alphabet. So like in, in Greek, it's the same thing. Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, Zeta, Eta, Theta, Yoda, Kappa. And we'd go that way. But this word, Echad, means one, but it means like one, talking about like one cluster of grapes. It's one comprised of others. And so Yahweh is always referred to not as, alpha, uh, as I'm sorry, Aleph, as one that way, but he's referred to as Echad, comprising in the fact that what? God has what? Three parts. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Anyways, it's an old side. I'd love to go into it more. One another day, we'll go back into that. But just an exciting thing. But we're told that when Yahweh comes to reign on the earth, that's Jesus in the flesh, when he comes to reign on the earth, he's going to reign on the earth. Okay, It's not going to be in heaven. It's going to be on the earth. But we're told that the capital... Uh, is going to be in Jerusalem. And that's what we were talking about right here. And so in Zechariah chapter 2, we say, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord, says Yahweh. Many nations shall be joined to Yahweh in the day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst. This is God talking. This is exciting stuff. Yahweh. And so I was say, who's Jesus? Jesus has to be Yahweh. When you talk to Jehovah Witness, I mean, pull this verse out. Jehovah Witness says, you know, Jesus is just an angel, you know? No, he is Jehovah, he is Yahweh incarnate in the flesh. And, and God's word says so. And so Yahweh says, I will dwell in your midst, then you shall know that Yahweh Shabbat has sent me to you. So Yahweh, this is another one of these Trinity verses is in the Old Testament, not New Testament, this is Old Testament. Yahweh says, I'm going to come, and it's going to be Yahweh Shabbat that sends me. Isn't that cool stuff? You know, I, I love going with the Mormons and the, and the Jehovah Witnesses and, and proving the Trinity from the Old Testament. Anyways, but has sent me to you, and Yahweh will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. When Yahweh comes, when Jesus comes back and he reigns on the earth, 
for that thousand years, where is he going to reign? Jerusalem. Isaiah 24, it shall come to pass in the day that Yahweh will punish on high the... On high the host of exalted ones, and on earth the kings of the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered together in a pit, and will be shut up in a prison. And after many days they will be punished. Then the moon will be disgraced, and the sun ashamed. For Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, will reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and before his elders gloriously. And so God is going to come in the flesh, and he's going to reign on the earth, specifically in Jerusalem. Okay? So... First little factoid that we know about this physical reign of Christ is going to be on the earth. And secondly, it's um, even more uh, refined there, it's going to be in Jerusalem. Now what about the inhabitants of the earth, the inhabitants of the kingdom? Who's going to be living in this physical future kingdom? There's a lot of things that are out there. And honestly, if I stopped right now and I asked you, who were the, who were the ones who are going to be ruling with Christ? Even though we just read the passage, many of you are influenced by Baptistic tradition. And you say, well, the saints are. We are. We reign with Christ. And I would say, you really didn't listen to what we just read from Revelation chapter 20. Okay? But let's go into who the inhabitants are. Uh, First of all, we know it's going to be Israel. Okay? From the the book of Revelation. Oh, in fact, we were supposed to turn there. So let's turn to Isaiah 60. Let's turn to Isaiah 60. And I have us turn into these. I have a little, see, I I just kind of, I don't look at my notes, you know. But my note here is, put a marker at these passages. I'm supposed to tell you this. Put a marker at these passages because we're going to come back to them, okay? We're going to use them later. So, so put a little marker in Isaiah 60. We'll read it right now, and we're going to come back to it for one of these other points as well. But Isaiah 60, beginning at verse 9, it says, Surely the coastlands shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar. And he's talking to Israel right now, okay? Their silver and their gold with them. To the name of Yahweh your God, to the Lord your God, and to the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. The sons of foreigners shall build your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Therefore your gates shall be opened continually, they shall not be shut by day or night. Now when we're going through Isaiah in Sunday school here recently, we only have like one more week of this to go, and we finish out the study on, on the book of Isaiah. Does anybody remember? What's the, what's the significant about this? About your gates shall be open continually and they not, shall not be shut day or night. What's significant about that? Security. You're not, you're not worried about anybody what? Attacking you. There is no fear going on here. We'll come back to that. But the, this is an exciting thing. It says that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. For the nation and kingdom which shall not serve you shall perish, and those nations shall be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the pine, the box tree together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. Where's the place of his sanctuary? Where's the place of God's sanctuary? Jerusalem. Yeah, come on, this is a no-brainer. You guys should know that one. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. Also the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing down to you. And all those who despise you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet and shall call you the city of the Lord, city of Yahweh, Zion of the Holy One of Israel, whereas you have been forsaken and hated so that you so that no one went through you. I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. You shall drink the milk of the Gentiles and the milk of the breasts of the kings. You shall know that I, the Lord Yahweh, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. 
Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls, excuse me, salvation and your gates praise. So, the inhabitants of the land. First of all, very clearly, who are the, 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 the foremost inhabitants of the land? The Jews. Israelites, the Jews. Such that, did you note that how are the Jews getting back to the land? Back in the beginning of this passage, back in 9 and 10. Who's bringing them? The Gentiles are bringing them. You know, it's kind of neat for me, and I'm not saying that part of the, uh, back in the 40s, you know, um, with the, um, the Holocaust and the, and, the, and the aftermath of the Holocaust was necessarily the fulfillment of this, but how did all the Jews get back to Israel? The Gentiles pushed them out. And said, man, we'll send you. We'll help you. We'll get you there. And, and, and they, they put them into the land. You know, back then you think, you know, when God's declaring all this to Isaiah, you think, how could that ever happen? Come on, you know, other nations are going to pay for the Jews to go back and to rebuild their cities and stuff like that. And what happened? Other nations expelled them and put them back into the land and helped build the, 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 the nation back up. Just like God declared. Well, God says that you are going to be a special people and the Gentiles are going to be bringing in all their, their stuff to you. Well, we also know that there's going to be the survivor of the nation. So keep your finger in Isaiah 60. We'll come back to this in a little bit. If you have a little notepad, you can put it in there. But turn with me to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah 14. The easiest way to get to Zechariah is going to Malachi and go backwards. Okay, Malachi is the book of the Bible just before Matthew. Okay, in Zechariah 14, look at verse 16 which is only about four or five verses from the end of the book. And it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations who came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. So when that time comes and and Yahweh is reigning on the earth, not only is Israel going to be there, but as we saw about all those Gentiles, which Gentiles are going to be there? If all the nations are gathering against Israel, and, and Jesus comes, Revelation 19, and he wipes out those nations that are gathering it, who are the other people? What says it's going to be those who are what? Left. It's going to be the remnant of those nations. And so, interesting comment, thought process here, you know, as we read through the book of Revelation, that there are going to be those on the earth at that time who do not receive the mark of the beast, but are still gathering against Israel. Does that make sense? They're not necessarily going to be God-fearing people going into the millennium. You're going to have Israel who will be delivered, and so all Israel will be saved or delivered. Revelation, or I'm sorry, Romans. Paul tells us in the book of Romans. And so they go into the millennial reign. But we're told that these ones who were left of the nations that had gathered against Israel, they get to enter into the millennium. Don't you ever wonder how Satan was able at the end of a thousand years to, to, to get together the nations to, to rise up against Jesus? Because it's not going to be that they're not getting a new body in the millennium. They're living on the, the earth. They're, they're, not, they're not being resurrected and going into the millennium. It's a physical reign. Do you understand? They're sliding right into that millennial reign of Christ when Christ is beginning to reign on the earth and all these things. But sinful man is going to be coming into this thing. And it doesn't mean just because Jesus is reigning on the earth that all of a sudden their hearts are what? Transformed. In fact, we're told that Jesus is going to reign with a rod of iron. Not a, not a little feather duster, you know? 
but it's going to be a rod of iron. Okay? And so, inhabitants of the land. Who, who are going to be living in this kingdom? First of all, Israel and the survivors of the nations. What's the disposition of the kingdom? Well, I've got the word up there for you. So anybody want to fill that one in? Shalom. It's peace. Now, what's neat about this word shalom, and the Hebrew word shalom, is we bring it over as peace. But if you look it up like um, in, a, in a dictionary, like freedictionary.com or whatever, it's going to tell you it's an idiomatic expression used by Jews for a greeting and farewell. Because they say, shalom, shalom, shabbat shalom. You know, and so on Friday through uh, Friday sundown or Saturday sundown, you say shabbat shalom because it's shalom is your standard greeting, but it's shabbat, it's the Sabbath, so you say shabbat shalom and stuff like that. Well, shalom has so much more involved into it, though. Shalom is much more than peace. It means this fullness, this completeness that you're supposed to have, this tranquility. And actually, it's better if we describe it from the negative side. And that means having no anxieties or worries. So that you're living in such a way that there's this fullness of peace that's around you because you have no anxiety. You have no fear. You have no worries. So there's a wellness, this well-being about you. Okay. So if you tell somebody, Shalom. What you're saying to them is, I wish you this tranquility, this tranquilness, this wellness, this well-beingness, that you have no, no worries, no anxieties in your life. Okay? And so it became a, a blessing, a desire that people would share to one another as they met each other and then as they left each other. I wish you shalom. Make sense? Kind of makes sense. And so, but it becomes an idiomatic expression just to say, hi, goodbye, shalom. You know, but it really means so much more than that. Well, it is that concept that we're told is going to be in the millennial reign of Christ. And the millennial reign of Christ is going to be characterized by a disposition of peace. First of all, there's going to be spiritual peace. Back in Revelation chapter 20, when we read it, what do we know is going to be different about the millennial reign of Christ than right now, than any other time on the earth. What happened in the very beginning of Revelation 20 as we read it? Somebody? What happened? What was the very first event we saw? Ah, Satan was bound. Satan, the devil, was bound and he's thrown into a pit for a thousand years. Now, clearly, we know from James chapter 1 that we are tempted when we are drawn away of our own lusts, right? And so a lot of our temptation is from within us because of our flesh. But we also know from Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Spiritual hosts in heavenly places and in the powers of darkness. And Jesus said when he was arrested in the garden, he says, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. And so we know that there is a spiritual war that's going on. Well, guess what's not going to be there during the millennium? There's not going to be this spiritual war. There's not going to be this, this battle with Satan at that time. He's going, to be, he's going to be bound. So any, think about it, any sin that occurs at that moment, any rebellion that comes to Jesus being the king, clearly someone's not going to be able to do the, the Geraldine Flip Wilson thing and say, the devil made me do it, honey. It's going to be what? It's totally of my flesh. There's not going to be any excuse. There shouldn't be any excuse within us anyway. I mean, clearly when we look from James chapter 1, and we know that we're drawn away of our own desires. But spiritual peace, 
there is going to be this spiritual peace that's there. Christ is going to rule on the earth. It's not going to be a matter of all these false gods and false idols and false religions on the earth. We're not going to... We're not. I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be raptured before that. But anyways, those who are living there, they're not going to be dealing with Islam. They're not going to be dealing with Mormonism. They're not going to be dealing with Jehovah's Witness. There's going to be the true worship on the earth because Christ is going to reign. We'll talk about this in just a moment. But Christ is going to be reigning on the earth in Jerusalem. There's not going to be any doubt. Do you remember what we just saw in Zechariah 14? That all the survivors of the nations, they're supposed to be coming up to Jerusalem. And if they don't come up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, what's going to happen? He's going to withhold rain from them for a whole year. Okay, So there's going to be the spiritual peace, but we're also told there's going to be this social peace. So if you kept your finger in Isaiah 60, turn back to there, and let's look at that again. This social peace that we see, meaning that there is not going to be any more any war that's going on. Look at verse 17. It says, Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, I will bring bronze. Instead of stones, iron, I will also make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Look what verse 18 says. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land. There will be no more violence. Wow. That's really kind of interesting. No more violence in the land. Why? Because Jesus will be reigning with a rod of iron he will be literally physically reigning on the earth justice will truly be what justice there will be no going before the judge and seeking to what to deceive because what 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 do we know about this judge he knows the thoughts and intents of your hearts and he knows what's really true kind of an awesome thing and so justice will prevail and so he says that you will have this this time where there's going to be peace in righteousness going on. And then uh, Micah 4, 1 to 4. I think I, nope, I don't have up here. But Micah 4, um, let me just read it to you, okay, for the, for the sake of time. But Micah chapter 4 says, I, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of Yahweh's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way, and we will walk in his paths. For out of the Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. He shall judge between peoples, and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, you all know that, and their spears into pruning hooks. In other words, they are going to give up on fighting each other and turn around and use the weapons of war that they were having, all the resources they had, they're going to turn around and use it aggregatedly. They're going to use it in a farm culture. They're going to, they're going to take care of the fields. And, um, and everybody's going to have this time of peace that's going on. Well, I've already put up there, finally it's going to be a time of physical peace. And I put physical peace because I'm talking about the earth as well. That the earth as well is going to have this, this time of peace. Turn with me to Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 9, but I'm going to skip the first five verses. You can read them in a moment later. But look at verse 6, it says, during this time, it says, The wolf, not the lion, the wolf, shall also dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand into the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. 
So what do we see? There's going to be this harmony that's going to happen physically, naturally, if you would, in nature, on the earth. And I know when we went through this, there was a little, um, in, in Israel, a little struggle here of whether we're going to be vegetarians or not, you know? But my comment is I'm going to be raptured before then. I don't have to worry about this moment, okay? Um, but clearly, the lion is not going to be seeking to devour the, the lamb, nor is the wolf going to be seeking to devour the, the lamb. The lion is not going to seek to devour the ox, nor is the snake going to be seeking to bite the, the child. You get it? There's going to be this harmony that goes on. And we see in Isaiah 35 the same thing that, that's going on. Look, drop down into the, the, well, we'll just read it beginning in verse, uh, the end of verse 2. It says, They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer. The tongue, the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool in the thirsty land springs of water. In the inhabitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. So not only are, is there going to be harmony with animals in the animal kingdom, but even the, the, the ground, the earth itself, the deserts and the wilderness are going to become what? Beautiful forested lands. It's an amazing thing. And, and there are those who are seeking to force Israel right now. Now, I don't have a problem with, with some wanting to do that just as an outreach to Israel and stuff like that. But there are some people who are trying to force the land because they're post-millennialists. <laughs> Make sense? So they're trying to, to make this happen, you know? And so it's an amazing thing, you know? But God says he's able to do what? He's able to do it just like that. In fact, the Dead Sea is going to stop being a salt sea and it's going to be a, a sea having fresh uh, fresh water, but that fresh water is going to have its source from where? Does anybody remember this from prophecy? Good job, buddy. From the stream that comes from the throne of God, which is located where? In Jerusalem. Good. Okay, excellent. So all of a sudden there's going to be this river that starts in Jerusalem. It comes out of the temple, comes out of comes out of the from the throne of God, and and when it, by the time it hits the Dead Sea, it's going to make the Dead Sea alive. If you know anything about the Dead Sea, as fish and everything comes down the Jordan River, the minute it hits the mouth of the Dead Sea, it dies. It dies. If you go to the Dead Sea, you can float. If you can't float anyplace else, you can float in the Dead Sea. If you can't float in the Dead Sea, you really have got to go to a doctor. Okay? There, there is so much mineral content in the Dead Sea that you just can't, you, you can't drown. I mean, you just can't go down unless, you I mean, you're really, a, you know, a dead weight. Anyways, <laughs> and so, and they, they, the kids that went there, we went up and saw something else while the, when we were there. Others, but they said when they got out, the brine all over them was just really incredible, you know. Um, but anyways, but that's going to become a, 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 an awesome place as well. Well, the final part of the kingdom that we want to look at is the focus of the kingdom, and that really is the the most important part of the whole thing. And that is who's going to be the focus of the kingdom? You all know that. Jesus, okay, God in the flesh, Yahweh on earth is going to be the focus of the kingdom. And when we know that, we know that from these other verses that we've already looked at, um, is that he's going to be worshipped by all nations. Now, in Daniel chapter 7, in Daniel's uh, vision, um, we read that when Daniel's given the, uh, actually Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's vision, right, 
we're, we're told, is I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was as fiery flame, his wheels as burning fire. The fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words and the horn which was speaking. And I watched till the beast was slain, its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and I, I said before, this is Nebuchadnezzar's vision. I'm, I was wrong. It's, it's not Nebuchadnezzar's. It's Daniel's vision. And behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. Who is going to be worshiping God, Jesus, incarnate on the earth, reigning for a thousand years during those times. All peoples, nations, and tongues. And it's so exciting to me, because we read earlier from Revelation chapter 5 about that as well. You know, that there's going to be representatives in heaven from what? Every nation, every tribe, every tongue. They're all going to be there. You know, prejudice has no place in the body of Christ. You know, we look at people and we think, ah, I don't like, you know, I don't like that people group. God says, I love that people group. In fact, there's going to be a representative from that people group that's going to be there. And I don't care what little tribe you're thinking about or what nation it might be, whether it's here in the United States or whether it's some other nation around the world, and you're picking out one little people group. When I think of the, the, the nation of India, and I think of all the d- different people groups that are in the nation of India, and God says from every one of those tribes, those people groups, there's going to be a what? There's going to be a representative, at least one, probably more, who are going to be what that day? They're worshiping and glorifying me. Well, when they come into the millennial kingdom, those from all those nations that, that, that are survivors and come in, they're going to be coming to Jerusalem to worship God, to worship Jesus Christ. Finally, and there are other verses there from Zechariah 14 that you can look at about being worshipped by all nations. His word is going to be taught. Again, from Malachi, or Micah 4 that I read earlier, we read that it says, Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up into the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will what? Teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. People are going to be coming to Jerusalem to meet before God, so that Jesus, Yahweh in the flesh, so that he can do what? He can teach them. They're going to come to worship him, and he's going to teach them. Now, I'm excited you guys came here on New Year's Day. Okay? And, and, and I appreciate when I hear comments about teachings and stuff like that in the Word of God. And, and I, I try not to get prideful and big-headed on that kind of stuff. But, but that's, a, that's a real blessing to me. But you know what? I'm looking forward. I know I'm not going to be the millennium, but I'm going to be in heaven, which is even better, okay? But I'm looking forward to the day when I'm out of this body and I'm transformed and I'm in the presence of God. Why? I will see him as he is and I will be like him. And if there is truth to know, I'm going to what? I'm going to be able to find it because I have the real teacher there. Does that make sense? Jesus said it's profitable for you for me to leave because if I go, I will send you the Holy Comforter. And one of the jobs of the Holy Comforter is to do what? Lead you into all truth. I can be led into all truth now. What inhibits me? 
my flesh. That's exactly right. My own sinful flesh, you know, wanting to interpret things. That's why, you know, I look at the people who don't believe in a literal millennium, and I go, the only thing I can figure out is it's, it's, it's something prideful there that they don't want, they don't want to believe in Israel. They, they, you know, they don't want a physical Israel. They, they want to think that they, they have all the blessings of God. And I tell them, look, if God changed his blessings and his promises to Israel, then you have no promise that he's going to hold true to the promises he gave to you. God says, I don't lie. I don't alter the thing that's gone out of my mouth. And so if he's lied and altered the thing that's gone out of his mouth to David and to Israel, then he can lie and alter the thing that he's gone out of his mouth to you. Make sense? Makes sense to me anyways. And, and so, so clearly when I read God's word and I read about a thousand years and Israel's going to be there and God's going to be reigning in Jerusalem at the temple that's there, I believe it's true. But if you don't like Israel, okay, and I understand Israel doesn't do everything that's, that's perfect right now, okay, but the fact is, Israel's still what? God's chosen people. And one day, he is going to start working through them again. And when he does, he's going to reign. Now, this is a little aside here. Um, not that I, 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 you prove anything based upon um, uh, astrology and stuff like that, okay? So I'm not going there to ask you the thing. But I heard this. I was getting a haircut the other day, and I thought... It was really amazing that here on the morning show, they got this uh, women, horoscopist woman, I'm sure they would call themselves an astrologist or whatever. You know, the Bible would call them wicked. Anyways, um, and so so she's telling, you know, about Geminis and Pisces and, and Taurus, if you're Taurus and all this kind of stuff, and you know what you can expect for the year and that kind of stuff, and I got good grief. But years ago, I wrote a paper on um, the New Age movement, and um, and I did a lot of research, books that I'd never encourage you to read, but I read for the, the sake of the paper. And it's really interesting that in the New Age movement, in, in astrology, they have what's called a star age. And a star age is 2,000-year period. Isn't it interesting? It's 2,000 years. And now, if most astrologists are also what? Evolutionists, they don't believe in a creator God, right? They believe in, in evolution, and and so you'd expect that. How many star ages would there be? Just tons of them. I mean, just tons. I mean, you know, because you know the Earth is billions of years old, right? Not that I believe that. I clearly think that's not true. But they would think that. And so if you if you thought the Earth was millions and billions of years old, you'd have to have in the star ages only two thousand years. You'd have to have tons of these star ages. Three. Three star ages, really? Now, isn't that quite interesting? that they only have three star ages. They have Aries, Taurus. I said, I'm saying that right, right? Taurus, that's the, the bull. Anyways, and then Pisces. Now, I don't mean to get into this. It goes into the return of Christ a little bit as well. But anyways, if you look at each one of those ages, biblically, there's the ram, predominant um, thing of worship. Then you have the bull, the prominent thing of worship. And Pisces is a fish. Does anybody know any world religion known by as a fish? Christianity. Uh, kind of interesting. We're in the age of Pisces. But back in the 60s, um, those who believe in this stuff, okay, I, I find all this stuff is really interesting stuff, okay? I don't place my faith on this stuff, but I find it really interesting that those who are trying to, to, to go against what God teaches, this is literally, have got to come up with a what? They've got to come up with something else. And Satan is always putting forth an imposter, you get it? A replacement kind of concept. Does anybody have a guess what the next star age is supposed to be? It was declared back in the 1960s with Broadway, Broadway musical hair. Aquarius. 
When the moon is in the seventh heaven and Jupiter aligns itself with Mars, then peace will fill the planets and love will fill the stars. It's the dawning of the age of Aquarius. This lady was talking about Aquarius and the peace that we're on the brink of and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, wow, this is really incredible, you know? And anyways, there's so much more to it. I don't want to get into all that gunk. Anyways, but, but it's amazing to me how the world right now is looking for this. They're being primed for it, but it's a false, a new world order. They're looking for a world kingdom, but they're looking for a fake one. There's an imposter. He's called Satan. In his word, his, he's called anti what? Christ. That doesn't mean against Christ. Anti in the Greek means in place of. And he's going to come looking like it. Somehow, they're going to come looking like it, setting up this false millennium. And it's going to be a millennium of peace. Do you get it? I mean, just it's all biblical. It's all there. Except for the fact that Jesus says when he comes back, he's going to come back where? In the clouds. That's why he tells us, if they say to you, look, he's over here. Look, he's there. Don't believe him because it's not true. Because I'm going to come, and when I come, it's going to be like the east to the west. Man, It's all going to be seen just like that in the clouds. The world is so prime for the return of Christ and for the reign of Christ. They just don't know it. They're believing a, a lie. And God's word says that when it happens, they will believe a lie. The deceiver is going to come. The man of who? Lawlessness. Remember what we talked about? The man of lawlessness is going to come. So this stuff is so important. Well, so my question to you is, what do you believe regarding the return and the reign of Christ? Do you believe in its literal, that it's literally a thousand years that Christ is literally going to return in the clouds? Literally? Like clouds? Like the angels and God declared that it's going to happen that way? Is the Bible your final source of authority? Or is it your own interpretive ability? Is your own interpretive ability your final authority? Now, I know you may say, huh? That's very important. Not just, I mean, you may not be sitting there thinking, oh, I don't really care about eschatological things, big terms, you know. But what is it? I mean, take the application from this and put it into other theologies, practical theologies for you. Why do you hold what you hold? And why do you do what you do? And why do you believe what you believe? I mean, you may not be a big deal in the end time stuff, but I think it's a big deal. Okay, You may not think it's a big deal, and that's okay. But bring it down into some of these other areas of practical things. And we're going to talk about some of those in the next couple months. But is it because the Bible declares it? Or is it because you have interpreted it to be that way? And it's what you like. The Bible says in the last days, they're going to heap to themselves teachers having... Itching ears, meaning they're going to want. They're going to go to a teacher who's going to tell them what they want to hear, not what the Bible really declares. I pray that never happens to me that I do that. The time is coming when Christ is going to physically reign on the earth again. He should be reigning in your life already. The final question is, is he? If you're here today and Christ is not reigning in your heart, you've never accepted him as your Savior. He is not sitting on the throne of your life. Behold, today is the day of salvation. What an awesome time to have a new birth to a new year. The old being passed away, the new man coming on. But if you're here today and you say, well, there was a time I know I gave my life to Jesus Christ, my question to you is, is he sitting on the throne of your heart? Or are you sitting on the throne? Are you still in the control? Do you hold the golden scepter out to him? Okay, Jesus, you have the opportunity to stand before me and tell me what your uh, desire for my life is. 
It doesn't happen that way. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, then he's what? He's sitting on the throne. And he tells you what he wants you to do. But if you're telling him what you're going to do, then you're on the throne. And I think it's interesting that when he comes to physically reign on the earth, he doesn't come with a democratic form of government. He doesn't ask the people, what do you want to do? And we'll do it that way. No, it's a theocratic kingdom. And he says what? Here's what you will do. That's the reign that's supposed to be mimicked in my heart today, and which we'll talk more about next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again that you are God and that you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, help us to glorify you. We look forward to the time when Jesus is going to come in the clouds and he's going to catch us up to be with him in the air, Lord, that we can be in your presence. We look forward to the time when Christ is going to reign on the earth for a thousand years with those who have been beheaded for the name of Jesus who came out of the, the great tribulation, Lord. Lord, we praise you. We know that your word is true. But God, I pray that you would help me and help these others, Lord, to be submissive to your role and reign in our life now. Lord, help us to magnify and glorify you. Help us to to look like those who are living in your kingdom, even right now. That others may know that you are God, and that they may desire that relationship with you as well. In Jesus' name, amen.